Last week we began a series titled, Am I Really a Christian? Okay, so does anybody recall what we spoke about? What was the lesson on? Let's see. Are you really a Christian? What was the first topic we discussed? Oh, man. I know, it's been a while. The doctrine of? Regeneration. Regeneration. Can anybody explain regeneration or the new birth? What is that? What do we mean? Jesus said you've got to be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, you can't enter. And so if you're not born again, you're not a Christian. What does it mean to be born again? What does God do? Go ahead, Andrew. It is that your heart's desires have been changed to love Christ and to hate sin. That's awesome. So your heart's desire has been changed to love Christ and to hate sin. That's really good. And so the definition I went with is Wayne Grudem's. It's the secret act of God where He imparts new spiritual life to us. Okay? He imparts new spiritual life to us. Now, why do we need new spiritual life? What is wrong with our natural spiritual condition? What do y'all think? What do we go over? Naturally, we hate God. That's incredibly blunt, Kai, but that is what the Bible says. Okay, anybody want to add to that? That's pretty good. So, yeah, Paul says, in our flesh, there dwells no good thing, or nothing good dwells in our flesh. And so, naturally, we are in an opposition to God. We are opposed to Him. It actually says we're hostile towards Him. And so, that's our natural spiritual condition. It says we cannot obey God. We don't choose God. We're not righteous. I mean, you just, we're dead in sins, dead in transgressions, all of these things. But through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the proclamation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God, by the ministry of the Spirit, causes us to be new people. It's amazing. He causes you to be born again. So the old Philip is gone and the new Philip is here. That's all about the doctrine of regeneration. If that hasn't happened to you, if you don't have love for Christ, hatred for sin, some of these things, then you're not a Christian. You've got to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, so that is what we discussed last week. Now, this morning we are going to talk about the doctrine of sanctification as well as perseverance. We probably won't get to perseverance. The Bible clearly teaches that you are not a Christian if you are not being sanctified. And that those who are truly Christians will inevitably persevere in the faith. This will be an important teaching for us to examine ourselves with because this kind of teaching seems to be really rare these days. I honestly believe that one of the most neglected doctrines in the contemporary culture is the doctrine of sanctification. You may not even know what this is. You will by the end of this, Lord willing, or I haven't done my job very well. And since this doctrine is so neglected, people tend to think wrongly about salvation as a whole. So let's talk about sanctification. The first aspect of sanctification that we need clarity on is the difference between initial sanctification and progressive sanctification. So, initial sanctification and progressive sanctification. Those are important terms. Let's look at initial sanctification first. All throughout the Bible, the Lord would claim a day, a person, a object and set it apart, regarded as holy, 
consecrate it or sanctify it. I'm using those words synonymously. So for his own special purpose, okay? He would claim these things and set them apart for his own special purpose, namely the glory of his name. So right off the top of your head, you may be thinking about some of these examples. The seventh day of the week, the Sabbath day, right? So it says in Genesis 2-3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, okay? He sanctified it. Because on it, God rested from all of His work that He had done in creation. So He made that day holy. God did this with the firstborn of those in Israel. So if you were the first one that came out the womb of your mother, you were set apart unto the service of the Lord. So it says this in Exodus 13-2, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Consecrate it. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. So he's setting it apart as his. He's setting it apart from the rest of Israel as his special possession, okay? God did this with Aaron and his son so that they might serve him as priests. Exodus 28:41 And you shall put them on Aaron and your brothers talking about the priestly garments and on his sons with him and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them set them apart that they may serve me as priests so setting apart Aaron and his sons so that they might serve him God did this with the tabernacle in Exodus, Exodus 29, 43-44. There, talking about the tabernacle, I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. It shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. So the Lord is setting apart the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the altar... For the purposes of Israel going to commune with him, to speak with him. He's setting it apart. God did this with the temple as well. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 6. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. He's setting apart the temple that his name might be there forever. So that all the peoples might go and worship him at the temple. So God is in the business of laying claim on a person, a place, or thing, and then setting it apart for His own glory and honor, okay? He sets it apart as holy. And when you read the New Testament, this is exactly what He did with us, okay? If you are a Christian in here, it is because God has laid claim on you as an individual and set you apart from the world for His own specific purpose, you look at 1 Corinthians 1-2. This is what it says. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, past tense, in Christ Jesus, and called to be saints, literally, holy ones, set apart ones, uh, together with all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You also have 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. It's a fantastic set of verses. Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. None of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. And watch this. Verse 11. And such were some of you. Some of you used to live like that. But you were washed, cleansed of your sin. You were sanctified, set apart unto the purposes of the Lord. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 
This is why in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, Peter says this to the people. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so a set-apart nation, a people for his own possession. He lays claim of people, he lays claim on people, and then sets them apart for his own specific purpose. Okay? This is initial sanctification. So when the Lord caused you to be born again, as we mentioned last week, when He gave you new spiritual life, He also sanctified you. He set you apart. This is something that happened in the past, okay? You have been made holy by the powerful Spirit of God. This is what we mean by initial sanctification. Now, it's also important to understand that, and this is the bulk of our teaching, okay? Though you have been sanctified, set apart, you are also being sanctified. That's huge. Though you have been sanctified, you are also being sanctified. Everybody that has been initially sanctified will progressively be sanctified. Those who have been set apart as holy will increasingly grow in holiness. This is what we mean by progressive sanctification. And this is what we are going to spend a bulk of our time on this morning. If you're not progressively being sanctified, you are not a Christian. So what does this mean? Well, let's look at the biblical evidence for progressive sanctification, that we are going to increase in holiness throughout our earthly pilgrimage here. Jesus prays for our progressive sanctification. John 17, 17. This is what the Lord says. He says this to His Father. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is praying for our sanctification. And He's praying to God because God is the one that sanctifies. Also, Paul prays for our progressive sanctification and says that God will surely do it. So he prays for it and says, take heart, God is going to do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God will make you more holy. He will sanctify you. And Paul says that one aspect of God's will for His children is their sanctification. Very important. 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 through 8. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. For this is the will of God. So you want to know what the will of God is? Well, he's about to tell you. Your sanctification. Well, what does that look like, Paul? If that's the will of God, what does it look like? Well, he tells you. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then he says in verse 7, For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. So with all this in mind, progressive sanctification is this. Here's a definition. God's gracious and continuous work through the ministry of the Holy Spirit where He delivers His children more and more from sin and makes us more and more like Jesus. Okay? So God's gracious and continuous work through the ministry of the Holy Spirit where He delivers His children more and more from sin and makes us more and more like Jesus. That's what God is going to do with us in this life. If this is not happening to you to some extent, 
then you are not a Christian. If you are not increasingly dying to sin and conforming into the image of Jesus Christ your Lord, then you are not a Christian. Okay? Now, somebody out there may say, that sure seems like a lot of work. We believe we are saved by grace through faith and not by works, Philip. And some of you probably want to ask me, Philip, have you lost your mind? I have never heard anything like this in my entire life. I thought it didn't matter how much I sinned as long as I believed in Jesus. So I want to briefly address these kinds of questions. Go ahead, Alex. Um, yeah, could you repeat it one more time? I got up to God's gracious and continuous work yeah. through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so God's gracious and continuous work through the ministry of the Holy Spirit where He delivers His children more and more from sin and makes us more and more like Jesus. Okay. All right, so a lot of the problems that we face come from viewing salvation um, as a very, not, not a small thing, but we only view one aspect of salvation, when in reality, salvation, we need to be, we need to be viewing salvation as a whole. And so this is what I mean. Last week we talked about regeneration, right? And so Andrew was talking about where the Lord gives you new spiritual life and you begin loving Christ and hating sin. So that's what it is. It's a secret act of God where He imparts new spiritual life to us, okay? Our works play no role in this. God alone is sovereign over the work of regeneration. Your works play no role in it. God chooses to give you new spiritual life. He does it on His own sovereign initiative, Now, so that's regeneration. Justification through faith alone in Christ alone. What is that? Okay. Well, in regeneration, the Lord gifts us with faith. He gives us faith graciously. It is by faith that we lay hold of Jesus Christ and are justified. Now, justified means that we are judicially declared righteous by the just judge of all the earth. So you're declared righteous through faith in Christ. God declares you righteous. So through faith we are given the righteousness of Christ. Our works play no role in this. You're saved by grace through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. You didn't do this. God did that. Okay. So these are all aspects of salvation. Oftentimes we only view salvation as that. Like, oh, you got to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. It's like, that's true. That's one element of salvation. You believe in Jesus Christ and you're saved. But also, we are being saved right now through the continuous ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in us. We must leave room for that. We must view salvation as a whole, not just justification. We must have sanctification in here as well. So, sanctification by the Spirit, the next part. In sanctification, the Lord, through the ministry of the Spirit, progressively conforms us into the image of Jesus by increasingly delivering us from sin and making us righteous. Okay? This is the work of God, and He does this through means. Those means are namely our cooperative work with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this more. So I'm just giving you a basis. So I'm not preaching you're saved by works. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you're saved by works. You are regenerated by the gracious act of God. Praise God. You are justified through faith alone and Christ alone by the gracious act of God. And now you are being sanctified by the ongoing work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you will cooperate in this. That's how God has ordained it to be. Okay? How does it all fit together? Well, those who have been born again will progressively be sanctified. 
So, if you have been born again, you will be sanctified. So, view it like this. The new birth or regeneration is the root and sanctification is the fruit. Okay? Regeneration is the root, sanctification the fruit. Also, those who have been justified through faith will be sanctified by the Spirit. If you have truly been justified through faith in Christ alone and have been given peace with God, you will be sanctified by the ongoing work of the Spirit. This is what one theologian says. Christ justifies no one whom He does not at the same time sanctify. He justifies no one whom He does not at the same time sanctify. If you're justified, He will sanctify you. So do not separate these. They go together. Those who are regenerated are justified. Those who are justified will progressively be sanctified. And ultimately, those who progressively who are progressively being justified and sanctified... Well, hold on. Let me scratch that. That's terrible. Luke, that was almost heresy. Alright. Let me try that again real quick. Those who have been regenerated have been justified, and those who have been justified will progressively be sanctified, and those who are progressively being sanctified will be glorified. And so that's the process of salvation. Don't separate them. So let's look at how progressive sanctification works. How does this remarkable work of delivering us from the power of sin and increasingly making us a holy people that bring glory to God? How does this work? And as you look, it's clearly the sovereign work of God. But as we said earlier, we cooperate and use the means that God has given in order to be sanctified. So it's the sovereign work of God, but we do do something, okay? So when Jesus prayed regarding our salvation, He prayed that God would sanctify us. So God does this work. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Also, we said it earlier in 1 Thessalonians. Paul prays to God. He says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. So he's praying that God would sanctify them. God is the one that sanctifies us. He is the one that delivers us from the power of sin and makes us holy. But it also becomes evident that we cooperate with God in this work. Okay? We cooperate with God in this work. Philippians 2, 12-13 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is it in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. What? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is God who works in you. Yes, Paul sees them. They go together. Okay? Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So we are working out our salvation. God is working within us. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. So it's God and we cooperate, okay? Let's see. With that said, sanctification is both passive and active. So sanctification is both passive and active. It is passive in the sense that it is God working within you through the ministry of the Spirit to sanctify you. It's passive in that sense. So if you have done away with some sin in your life and started pursuing stuff that's pleasing to the Lord, praise God for it. He's the only reason you would have ever done that. He is the one that worked that within you. However, 
Sanctification is also active in the sense that you are to cooperate. The power of certain sins in your life don't just disappear out of nowhere. That is not how God works. Rather, He gives you means. You use those means in faith, and then those sins have less and less power in your life. So you are active in this sense. This is why you will always see Paul give exhortations. Okay, So this is just some exhortations in the New Testament. We are to seek to put death, put to death the deeds of the flesh. So we are to intentionally seek to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Certain sins, right? It says we are to strive for holiness. We are to seek to cleanse ourselves from sin. 2 Corinthians. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. We are to seek to purify ourselves. 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. However, don't you ever praise yourself for putting sin to death. Okay? Don't ever praise yourself for pursuing holiness. Rather, you praise God. He is the one working within you to accomplish this great purpose He has, making you look like His Son. But you are active. We ought to be seeking to be pure. We should be striving to be holy. We should be striving to put to death certain deeds of the flesh. But we know that God is the one that's doing this mighty work within us. And we are cooperating with the Spirit of God. Now... Does anybody have any questions so far? So this might be the first time you've heard some of this stuff. Or there may need to be some clarity because I'm not teaching it that well. So does anybody have any questions regarding what I've said so far? Okay. As Christians, sanctification consists of two parts. So what is this going to look like? Well, it's going to consist of two things, right? It's going to consist of negative sanctification and positive sanctification. So it's both negative and it's positive. Negative sanctification has to do with putting off sin. It pertains to putting sin to death. So, through the Spirit, we progressively put certain things that are incredibly displeasing to God things that Jesus Christ died for to death. That's what it means, negative sanctification. We're putting these things to death, doing away with them. So just turn to Colossians 3, 5 through 10 real quick. These are usually put side by side in the Scripture. Negative sanctification and positive. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10. So Paul is talking to a saved people, right? He's talking to a justified people, people that have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That's who he's talking to. And this is what he says in Colossians 3. Put to death, negative sanctification, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all the way. Negative sanctification. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self. So, we are to be putting stuff to death. 
when we're to put these things away, we're putting off the old self with its practices. So what you did before you came to faith in Christ, now that you have faith in Christ, you are to intentionally seek to do away with. Okay? We intentionally and deliberately seek to, by the power of the Spirit of God, rid these sins from our lives. That's an intentional work and a deliberate work that we are to do, okay? This is to be a part of every Christian's life. We ought to all be seeking to put sin to death. That's what the Scripture is telling us. We ought to be seeking to do away with these things that are so displeasing to the God who saved us. This is something that Christ will work within His children. So that's negative sanctification. Let's look at positive sanctification. Positive sanctification has to do with putting righteousness on. It pertains to doing things that are holy, good, pure, righteous, and lovely. So by the power of the Spirit, we not only progressively put sin to death, we also progressively pursue righteousness. We do both. Put it to death and pursue righteousness. So look at Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then, so whereas formerly you were putting off, now you're putting on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So that's all I'm going to read there. So we intentionally and deliberately seek to, by the power of the Spirit of God, pursue these things. We pursue righteousness. This is a part of every Christian's life. We ought to be striving to be more and more righteous each and every day. That's a part of this Christian walk that we are in. I love how Paul says this in Romans. He says that we are to yield our entire persons as instruments of righteousness. We are to yield our entire persons as instruments of righteousness. So he says this in Romans 6. This is where he says it. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That's what we formerly did. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law but under grace. So Christ works within us by His incredible grace to yield our entire persons, not to sin, which leads to death, but to righteousness, which leads to life. So this is a part of the Christian life. Now, as I'm saying this, the question that should arise in your mind is this. Does progressive sanctification mean that we are always dying to sin and increasing in righteousness? Am I always at every moment of every day supposed to be growing in righteousness in order to be a Christian? Does this mean that if I backslide into some sin during my freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year of college, or when you're 80 years old, that I'm not a Christian? These are questions that should arise and they should be answered, okay? So let's answer this. The Bible clearly teaches and assumes that Christians will be ones who are growing in the faith, okay? So the Bible does assume that if you're a Christian, you're going to be growing. 
When we are born again, we become spiritual infants in the faith, but through a consistent and disciplined pattern of making use of God's means, which we'll cover at the end of this lesson, we are to mature into spiritual adults in the Christian life. Okay, so the Bible assumes that. However, the Bible also clearly teaches and assumes that the Christian life is not going to be an easy one. If you're a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We are not going to consistently put sin to death and pursue righteousness perfectly. We are not going to consistently put sin to death and pursue righteousness perfectly. Okay? There will be ups and downs. The Apostle Peter denied Jesus three times. Okay? When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, flat on his face, pleading with God to take the cup of wrath from him, the disciples were sleeping when they should have been praying. And what does Jesus tell them? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay? So in sanctification, that's a true statement. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is a battle. Paul, thinking through his own sanctification in Romans 7, said a similar thing. He says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I don't do what I want to do, but I do the things that I hate. What in the world is going on inside of me? So he says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He goes on to say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives praise to God for Jesus Christ. So we could go on and on at this point. But what I am trying to convey is this. Though you ought to increasingly be sanctified, it is not going to happen without ups and downs. That's comforting, okay? That's a comforting truth from the Bible. Though you ought to increasingly and progressively be sanctified, it's not going to happen without ups and downs. It's going to be tough. So we are waging a war. And as is always the case, we will inevitably lose battles in sanctification. However, we must take heart. We will win the war. Okay? God will sanctify us. He's promised it. Now, with that said, our sanctification will only be complete when the Lord returns. So, though we ought to be increasingly sanctified in this life, we will not be perfectly sanctified in this life. None of us will ever be able to say in this life that we look exactly like Jesus. That we have arrived at complete holiness, purity, and righteousness in our affections, desires, motives, actions, and thoughts. That would be absurd. None of you will ever be able to say that. You will not be perfectly sanctified in this life. Oh, you're perfectly counted righteous through faith in Jesus. But you will not be perfectly righteous in this life. So understand that. So when will we be perfectly righteous? When will we we be like Jesus Christ? And the scripture says when Jesus comes back. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So when will you be perfectly sanctified? When Jesus returns. When you see Him, you will be like Him. 
It says in Colossians, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So think about it like this. You are going to be toiling and you are going to be striving and you're going to be pursuing righteousness, seeking to put sin to death, seeking to put on righteousness, compassion, holiness, all these things. You're going to be seeking to do that for decades of your life. If you're a Christian, right now until the moment you die, you're going to be doing that. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to lose battles. But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, He'll do it just like that. Because that's how powerful He is and that's how weak we are. Why does He do it that way? Why does He leave us here to struggle like that? Why does He leave us here to lose some battles? Ultimately, though, being progressively sanctified. Why? Man, it humbles us and brings Him a ton of glory. Only He can do this. And so you need to be humble. That's what should be cultivated here. Alright, so with the remaining time, what we got? The last thing that we're going to talk about is the means that God uses to sanctify us. So what are the means that He uses? I have mentioned this all throughout the teaching, but I have not given you specific means that God has promised to use to increasingly sanctify us when we use them in faith. And you must use these in faith. It's not like He lays out all these means and you just simply just go through the motions and the Lord is going to make you look like Jesus. That's not how this works. You you participate in these things in faith, believing that God will use them to make you look like Christ. Faith is absolutely essential. So, I need you guys to participate a little bit. I've been talking entirely too much. What are some means that the Spirit of God uses to increasingly conform us into the image of Jesus? What are some means that He uses to make us look like Jesus? What do y'all think? So, fellowship with other believers? Okay. How might that be used by God to get us to look a lot like Jesus Christ? That's not just to you, but if you want to answer, have at it. Okay. Yeah, so as you come together, you're listening to good teaching. You're speaking to one another. Um, I think fellowship, I think discipleship can count for this, right? And so the Lord uses discipleship. We meet together and we spur each other on to love and good works. It actually says we're to be warning each other about Judgment Day. So Austin and I get together on Wednesday mornings. It's like that morning, what we want to do with each other is like, hey, brother, sometimes we fail to remember that Judgment Day is coming and we're going to have to give an account of everything we've done in the body. So I just want to encourage you right now to live in light of that truth. And he's like, hey, you too. It's coming for you as well. And I'm like, praise God. Let's go. Let's put sin to death and pursue righteousness. All right. So discipleship, fellowship, that's good. What else? No, no. I was going to add um, accountability. Accountability. We're able to spot out the sins of other people that hopefully put those sins to death. Yeah. So, Nana, are you aware of every sin that you struggle with right now? No. But she is. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But our friends know some of the sins that we struggle with that we ourselves don't even know. And so, yeah, the Lord uses brothers and sisters fellowshipping with one another, holding each other accountable, rebuking each other when necessary, pointing out certain things like, hey, I noticed that you, you said this particular thing. That really wasn't useful. Like that, that didn't build up anybody. It tore people down. So that's good. Accountability. What else? Aaron, go ahead. Uh, prayer, just to get the prayer. And be able to ask them things and, uh, and receive uh, good gifts. That's awesome, man. So um, when I was thinking through prayer, 
I have an advantage. I thought through all this. So y'all didn't. I'm just asking y'all off the cuff. But Colossians 4.12, this just shows you how the Lord uses prayer for other people. And so that's, that's also one of God's ordained means to get us to look like Christ. Other people praying for you. And you praying for other people. So it says this in Colossians 4.12. Think about this. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. So Epaphras is struggling in prayer on behalf of the Colossians. So that they might be sanctified. They might be maturing. Knowing the will of God. So I think that's the case. And also, like you said, praying for ourselves. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil. You have to always be praying, Lord, finish this work that you've begun in me. Lord, please help me. Deliver me from the enemy. Satan is out there roaring like a lion seeking to devour people's souls. Deliver me from him. Deliver me from temptation. I'm not as strong as Jesus. Jesus, he was strong in the midst of temptation. I'm not. I'm incredibly weak. So deliver me from that. And so we pray like that. The Lord uses that. What else? Go ahead, Alex. This might be a basic example, but in my life, uh, just giving up cigarettes, you know, this past Halloween has been a big deal for me. And it's been in terms of the verse, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every, you know, word that comes from the mouth of, of God. So by showing me things to give up that aren't ultimately meant for me, and that reliance I had on whatever the material thing was, that gets transferred into uh, reliance on God, which is ultimately the example that Jesus set fully reliant on. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. Um, I actually, one of the things, I don't think we even think about it that often. Your obedience to the commands of Christ is used by God to sanctify you. So think about it. In John 14, 21, it actually says that when we know the commands of God and then we keep them, it shows that we love God, and then Jesus manifests himself to us. So if you want greater understanding of the person of Jesus, obey him more. I'm not saying if you want to be saved, obey Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you want to know Christ better... If you want to increasingly know the Lord who gave his life for you, be obedient. This is what it says. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And this is the words of your Savior. And manifest myself to him. Don't you want to know Christ more? He's saying, you can know me more. Just be obedient to me. So go ahead. What else we got? Uh, who? Austin. Um, promises. Promises. Okay, explain that a little bit. Uh, so if you ever feel anxious, um, like Isaiah 41.10, fear not, run with you. So every time I come into a situation where I don't want to do something, I got a phone call to make, I preach that to myself by faith. And I need to ask that yes, good. So the promises of God in the Scripture, right? Yeah, I think um, the Word of God is going to be central. So honestly, the Word of God is God's chief ordained means to sanctify you. It's at the top, okay? And um, so reading the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, meditating on it, that's what you're talking about. Like you, you have that promise. You're sitting there. You're preaching to yourself. You're using the Word of God to strengthen you in the faith so that you can do what's pleasing to the Lord, right? So the Lord uses the Word. So we need to listen to it be taught, listen to it be preached. The Word of God is the chief means that the Spirit of God uses to sanctify us. 
If we neglect the Word of God, it will do a great deal of harm to our soul. Jesus clearly says, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. You will be sanctified by truth, knowing truth. Okay, what else? Erica. Um, James 1, trials and suffering allows us to reach steadfastness, which will help us grow in sanctity. That's good. So, as a good Heavenly Father, He disciplines His children, and He also does whatever is necessary to bring us home, right? And some of those are trials and afflictions. You go through hardships in this life, it strengthens your faith, purifies your faith, so that you can mature. That's good. That's really good, Eric. He has our consciousness. Okay, explain that a little bit. So, I guess, like, you have inside you your conscience, and he gave us that to. What was the question again? I just want to make sure uh, you're alive. Man, what was my question? Kind of word, word all right, all right. No, no, I'm saying, what are some of God's ordained means yeah. to make us look like Jesus, to help us out in this sanctification process? Right, so he, he gives us our conscience so we know what the right thing to do is inside. That's good, that's good. And so, yeah, it actually says that our conscience can be seared, right? So the more we disobey God, the more our conscience is hardened, and we actually don't, like, we don't even hear our conscience anymore. And then the more we obey God, our conscience is kind of softened, and we're, like, really attentive to what is pleasing to the Lord and what is displeasing to the Lord. So, yeah, conscience is big. Anybody else? Go ahead. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that the Bible is the key to it because to ground yourself in God's Word. And Philippians 4, 8 says, like, whatever things are true and noble so and good. kind and, like, loving and trustworthy, like, think about, meditate on those things. And so for me personally, when I'm looking to be grow more and more like Him, that's what I put my focus on and I meditate on Him. And that, like, draws me closer to Him. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so good. Um it actually says, so you think about like, the, the chief way that you know Christ is the Word, right? We wouldn't know Jesus if it wasn't for the Word of God. Um, and it actually says in 2 Corinthians that when you behold Christ, you're being um, conformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. And so that's what you're saying. Like, you're looking at Christ, you're reading the Word, you're doing all these things, and God is going to use that to make you look like Jesus. And that's what he's saying. Like, the more you behold Him, the more you become like Him. Hence, when He comes from the clouds of heaven and you see him you will be like him so labor to see christ now and you're going to see him through the word um let's see we're about out of time so the ordinance as well i'm always going to be hitting on this i'm always going to be teaching on it the ordinances are huge baptism and the lord's supper okay so you think about the word of god is god's chief means to conform us to the image of christ well the ordinances are like the word of god lived out okay so they're visible representations of biblical truth that's what baptism is when i see somebody baptized i see them buried with christ and raised to walk in newness of life that's a biblical principle visually before me and god intends that to strengthen my faith and he intends it to strengthen your faith as well the lord's supper what does the bread represent what does it represent and what was his body done what happened to his body for us it was broken so every time you see that visible representation of the breaking of Christ's body, you ought to grow in your appreciation of Jesus. What about the cup? What does that represent? Poured out for what? For the forgiveness of sins. And so these are visible things that the Lord has given us so that we might be increasingly strengthened in the faith. So make use of these means. If you don't make use of these means, you won't be sanctified. But if you, by faith, make use of these means, you will grow in Christ-likeness. All right. Let's see. I don't have time to do a book of this. So 
Let's just end with this. If God has saved you, and by that I mean delivered you from the penalty that your sin deserved, right? That's what salvation is, right? You deserve God's wrath being poured out on you because of the sin that you dwelt in. However, the Lord saves you through faith in Jesus because Jesus takes the wrath of God for you in your place on that cross. So now the wrath of God is satisfied and you have peace with God. That's salvation. So if He's delivered you from the penalty that your sin deserves, then He will most certainly sanctify you, which means increasingly deliver you from the power of sin. So sin no longer reigns in your life, okay? Sin no longer reigns. However, it does remain. And by the power of the Spirit, we can increasingly put sin to death and be conformed to the image of Jesus. So let's pray real quick. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Lord, we do want to look like Christ. Uh, We know that when we are born again, we're just spiritual infants. Uh, Christ is our Savior. We just don't look much like Him. And after years and years and years of making faithful use of these means that you've given us, Lord, we can increasingly look like Jesus. And that's what we want. We want to live like He lived. We want to show compassion on those who are hurting and in need. And we we want to pity those who need to be shown pity. And we want to rebuke those who are self-righteous and actually are causing rampant divisions in the church. And Lord, we want to preach the gospel to those who are lost and without hope. And so we just pray that you would increasingly conform us into the image of Jesus by the ministry of the Spirit through these means that we've talked about even today. Increase our, increase our faith, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.